everyone's got to think more accessible, more value for money, but supporting people in their you know in their local area, whether it be growers, farmers, butchers, bakers, whatever. That's the way I see it anyway. That's what I'm going to edge my bets on anyway. So I might be wrong, but I hope I'm not. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Although the pandemic has changed our way of life, Australia has fared much better than some countries in regards to cases, deaths, and of course, the reopening up of society again. In England, the pandemic spread so quickly, the government decided to close down restaurants and has put the future of the industry in doubt for many. With slim margins and a restaurant industry now considered as one of the world's best. What is the future for restaurants in the UK? Nathan Outlaw is one of the world's most influential and respected seafood chefs. He's one of England's finest restaurateurs, an owner of Outlaw's Fish Kitchen, and the two Michelin-starred restaurant Nathan Outlaw. Nathan, how are you going? Hey, how are you? Right? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Um, no, thanks for having me. You've had a, I know you've had a big couple of days. Yeah, no, it's been crazy. We've um, sort of launched our, our takeaway, so it's a very different kind of uh, of, of uh, operation that I'm used to. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, look forward to jumping into more detail with that. But I thought, could you just give us a picture um, of what the pandemic was like when it first sort of impacted on you and the restaurants were sort of forced into closure? Well, yeah, we obviously saw the um, same as everybody else on the on the world news and sort of knew that something was coming. And um, so, like, you didn't know, lots of speculation was flying around, lots of rumours, lots of things were being said that's going to happen. And sort of, because you never, you know, nobody's ever experienced something like this ever, um, you just didn't know what to plan for. So, I mean, I, I remember very, very clearly when it sort of really hit, you know, hit the fan. Um, and I was actually in London and I just... Uh, this time last year, I'd opened a new restaurant um, a hotel in London, sort of a, um, in partnership with the Goring Hotel. And it was going, you know, going really, really well. But, you know, it's quite a young restaurant. So the first thing I had to do, and I remember it quite clearly, it was a Tuesday. We had to basically tell everybody that we were closing and we were closing down, you know, for good. Wow. Because at that point, the government hadn't announced to, you know, the UK um, that they were doing the furlough scheme. So, um, you know, Basically, yeah, very quickly, them sort of hotels like that have accountants and they can work out very quickly what the damage is going to be. Um, so we had to make that decision. So that restaurant closed on on the on the Tuesday, Wednesday, I think it was. And that's when the, when the staff were told. Um, and it was all a bit surreal because we didn't really think that that was going to happen. You know, we sort of thought, you know, yeah, it, it, it was a bit of a warning and we sort of hopefully would open again. But, um, no, it, you know, it's confirmed that it's, you know, it's definitely closed. So that was a big blow. Um, and then straight away I went, cause I actually live in Cornwall in the southwest of England, so which is five hours on a train um, uh, or, or five hours driving from, from London. So I got straight back to Cornwall. Um, yeah, back with my family and you know, back with the restaurants down here and had to do pretty much the same thing, thing there as well. But the different being in, in the time of, um, of me getting down, but the, the government had announced that they were doing the furlough scheme. So we were lucky we, we were in that we could put everybody straight onto that scheme. And you know, I employ about 30 people um, down in Cornwall. Um, and currently, you know, apart from myself and my wife, Rachel, 
um, who, who run the business and, and a couple of others that we um, that they're all still on furlough. So uh, that scheme's still in place and uh, looks like it's going to be in place until October. Um, albeit, albeit we're starting to have to contribute to it a little bit, which will have an effect. Um, but yeah, we just it's one of those things where. Um, when it happened, you, you just didn't know. You, you know, it's, um, like they keep saying, it's unprecedented. I didn't even know what that word meant before all this. <laughs> I was like, what? So I was like, now I do. <laughs> it's not been seen before. So it was, um, yeah, it, it was all a bit of a shock. How, how did you feel during that period and, and having to let the staff go and having to let a restaurant go and then thinking about the future of your other restaurants? Um, it, it, it was single, singly the uh, most stressful time then three days between not knowing what the government was doing and the announcement coming out about things closing, and now them sort of—I think it's about three or four days. It was I just you know, didn't sleep, and the stress levels of you know I don't think I've never ever experienced anything like that. So yeah, no, it's because it's very personal. I mean, everything I do um, and what we do, um, we've, we've yeah we've yeah put our blood, sweat, and tears into it over the years, and it's sort of to see all that hard work of say 20 odd years to sort of being threatened and potentially, you know, finishing overnight. Cause that's what we thought at first because we didn't know they weren't in the furlough scheme there. So we were like, Oh my God, you know, it's, you know, three, two or three months, all the reserves are gone. That's it. We're done. And um, so it was extremely stressful. And, you know, mentally, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty strong person. I'd, I'd like to think. Um, and, but in that time it was quite challenging. Yeah. What's been the impact on the industry over there and um, has there been a lot of closures and do you think that there'll be a real issue with that moving forward? Well, I think um, there has been a few high-profile um, closures already. You know, um, Brett Graham at the Ledbury has announced um, he, he's closing for good and there's been a few few others um, in the cities. I mean, cities, I suppose they have um, the problem of it, it impacts them very quick but also they can recover quicker i think because where we are in 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 the sticks down in cornwall which is a very seasonal place i mean we get probably three months maybe four months june july august september are our months where we really that's where we 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 do our trade outside of that it's 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 pretty bleak um albeit for the for for, for public holidays etc and christmas and stuff um so i think there's two there's two sides to it in the uk i mean in the cities you're going to see Anybody that's paying high rents um, and has high staff, um, that, that, that's really going to affect them. And I think you'll see more closures with them sort of um, and restaurant or hotel businesses. But in the seasonal areas, the problem is, is um, because it fell just before the Easter boost, where you get your first sort of um, sort of uh, yeah, influx of, of tourists are coming into the area, um, we missed that, um, which is a big blow because that's sort of like, yeah, you almost look at that as your, your as your icing on top to get you through the following winter, and then um, obviously we miss now we're missing the summertime. So seasonal wise, I mean I'm not potentially you know, worried right now. Um, my my concern is 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 this winter coming up. You know January February you know March you know wherever Easter starts that's where it, you know that's where it sort of uh, starts to come to life again. So that's the biggest challenge for us right now. In somewhere like Cornwall, is that really reliant on tourists? trade generally across the board with restaurants yeah no yeah definitely it is i mean because it is so we've even seen it um in recently what's happened in the uk they've opened up um you know in yeah they've changed a rule that lets you travel um 
to the furthest point you can from your house, but you've got to get back to your house to sleep at night, basically. You can't stay anywhere else. Um, and because Cornwall is five hours away from London, it's sort of um, near two hours from Exeter, three hours from Bristol. It's a little bit too far. So we've not, even though the, the, um, the constraints have been slightly, uh, you know, sort of loosened a little bit on, on what people can do, we're still that little bit too far for, for to see a big influx of people. So, you know, until they actually say that you, you can go and stay at a hotel, or you can stay at um, yeah, a B&B or a guest house or something like that, it's, 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 we're just left with the local people that are in the area. And, then, and there isn't them, you know, in comparison to the tourist industry coming to the area, that isn't, is a very small percentage. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, the people that are coming out and supporting us, Thank goodness they're there, as I say. Uh, what's it been like uh, as a citizen in the UK? You know, you've had a vast number of cases compared to um, Australia and obviously Europe, you know, Italy and Spain have had, you know, um, just horrifying numbers. Um, what's it been like as a society through this period? Uh, I think it's been, you know, extremely challenging. I mean, um, I think, you know, it's very difficult. I'm, I'm not really into into politics and stuff like that. I mean, I try and stay away from any of that sort of thing. And from my personal standpoint, I mean, the government have done me good because they've they've got this furlough scheme going. But, I mean, in terms of support, I mean, there's lots of the NHS stuff. You know, there's been a lot of um, camaraderie and a lot of um, community spirit um, that's really shown um, in this in the pandemic, which is, which is really good to see. Um, and I think generally, I think people have adjusted – um, quite well to the challenges that have been set. And, you know, um, the is you know there's been a little bit of a lapse in sort of care homes, which has been a shame because um, you know it was, it was, it, there's areas, there's pockets of stuff that's been overlooked. Um, but you always try and sort of look at it from both sides. I mean, it must be just a minefield for 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 the ministers and stuff to to organise all that as well. You know, it's just it's crazy. It's because it's all new for them as well. I mean, generally, I think we're lucky. Um, I think I see myself as lucky as being British and being able to live in Britain because um, I think there's a good support around it. But you know, obviously, there is unfortunately people that have, have fallen through the through the through the net that have, and certain industries and certain you know um, sort of people from different certain backgrounds that have been sort of you know I suppose let down. But you know, from my actual personal point of view, um, you know, the government has done a good thing for us and, and supporting us. I mean, if we didn't have that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now, to be honest with you, but it, um, it would be, um, it would, it would have been really tough. But no, it's, it's really when you see, obviously, we see the news in the UK and we see that we're doing as a country, it's been awful, you know, in terms of the amount of deaths that have happened and the amount of cases. And obviously, it does look like some, something slipped up somewhere um, big time. Um, but you know, it's, it's still that, you know, it's worse. The way I see it is very, it could be in a much, much worse situation in a different country, in a different, in a different place, you know. What has the period of time been like for you with the restaurants closed and during lockdown? Like what, what have you been doing and, um, have you been looking at sort of your restaurants in a different light? Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, on a personal note, I've been I've been able to spend a lot more time with my my wife and my children and my dogs and and my garden, which is which is great because uh, it 
it felt perfect for the for the garden because it was going mental so i needed to, to get under <laughs> control um but in and yeah you you probably i probably had too much time to think i'll be honest with you because i mean yeah you, when you're a busy chef and you're you know running multiple restaurants you don't have time to think properly you're just always on the run so um my mind races at the best of times so you know this is just it's been a bit bit crazy and wife tells me to calm down all the time which is a good thing <laughs> yeah so but um yeah i think generally it's um i think the way i'm seeing it at the moment i mean i actually enjoy doing the takeaway i think it's i think there's there's a future in that i mean you know why does a takeaway always have to be something you know that's just uh, you know something quick and convenient it can be something nice we've proved that already in the, in the last couple of weeks we've done some some nice food and people are appreciating it um, that potentially probably wouldn't have even gone to a takeaway before. So that's something that we're seeing. Um, but in terms of, I can't, I still can't see um, the fine dining side of it working um, for for a while yet. I mean, I'm I'm not planning, I'm not even thinking about opening Restaurant Nathan Outlaw at the moment because, um, and potentially we probably won't either because it's just, you know, I don't see that people maybe or being the right is it right of me to, to charge a hundred and sort of 40 150 quid for food and you know and then and wine flight on top and people sitting down for three hours three and a half hours i mean i wouldn't i personally you know wouldn't um want to spend that much time in somewhere you know yeah at the moment knowing you know what potentially is there so i mean i i you know it all screams to me um people will still want to come out people will still want to come and enjoy themselves so the main thing is that whatever we do is we make sure everything is safe everybody the staff and the customers are safe um also that it looks clean it looks good you know we've, we've covered all the bases and give people confidence because if people have confidence when they turn up and they see what we've thought everything through um then they're going to be relaxed and they're going to enjoy themselves in a restaurant and i suppose it all just kick starts from there and hopefully um that's how the, the the industry will revive with with confidence from consumers and customers how does a two michelin star chef do a takeaway model i'm fascinated to see what you've come up with i know You've had a busy couple of days. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose the, the food that I'm doing at the takeaway is um, is actually uh, more of the food that's from the from our Outlaws Fish Kitchen, which um, is is much more. Um, how do I say? It? It's, 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 it's it concentrates on Cornish seafood um, solely. You know, we don't we don't really go anywhere else um, unless we unless we um, have to because of weather or something like that. Um, and then um, basically the yeah the the, the food at the fish kitchen is influenced by my sort of um, travel or interest from world cuisine as well. So it's a bit yeah, there's an Indo- Indian influence. There could be yeah anything um, yeah different Italian influences on there as well. So whereas restaurant Nathan Outler is so, solely about Cornwall and about you know where we are and very all all, all the ingredients we've got are from from that area. So. Um, it's a it's a bit of a mix, I suppose, together. And obviously, because it's we've only been doing it for a few weeks, it's sort of a, a bit of a learning, yeah, a bit of a learning curve for me and for for the small team that we've got. But the good thing about what I found already is that people are still willing to come out and 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 eat food that's of a slightly higher level, I suppose, than your normal sort of your normal takeaway that we've we've known in the past. You know, so that does give me confidence that this works. But I think. What I'm going to try and do is when we have the social um, the social sort of um, dining 
hopefully on the 4th of July in the UK, they're, ho- they're hopefully going to open sort of um, restaurants with social distancing, which will mean at the moment it's two metres apart um, in the UK. So that give- my restaurant's very small, so that gives me five tables. <laughs> so I'm not, it's, not, it's not ideal, but we've... Um, at the fish kitchen, the little restaurant, um, the actual restaurant itself um, is very, very small. So we've had to we had to adapt um, in the past anyway. So we're going to try and put that system into place with a five table restaurant plus the takeaway running at the same time. So we'll probably run the same style or even the same menu across both um, just to, to make it obviously in the kitchen. The guys, you know, I'd say the guys. Basically, I was in, in this week, I've been there all week, uh, re- realising how hard work it is being a chef again. And, um, and um, yeah, so we basically, I thought, well, why don't we just show that you can have takeaway food can be the same as what we're doing in the restaurant. So it'd probably be, you know, a bistro. I suppose an easy way to, to, to explain it would be like a seafood bistro style. Yeah, so it's that sort of level where great seafood, um you know simply cooked but you know really tasty and you know and and um, yeah just just great stuff that people are going to enjoy um the fine dining elements of it are impossible really at the moment because you can't do the wine service you can't be with the customer pouring all that sort of stuff which we did in the past so um, i'm going to just completely do the restaurant um again i think um it's still i'm still 95 percent you know sort of uh yeah, there, but I think we'll, that's what we'll have to do because I can't see how um, the fine dining thing will work at the moment. What's it been like getting your team back together? I know when I contacted you to have a chat on the show, you mentioned that you'd somehow put yourself on the pastry section. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's it been like? Which <laughs> is hilarious. <laughs> Um, well, the, the pastries, like, yeah, I, I thought, you know what? I thought, well, let's do something a bit different. So, what I did as I made these sort of like little. Um, sort of almost like sticky buns. I don't know if you've got, like, you know, like a, a glazed bun um, filled with um, filled with uh, two different fillings, one passion fruit, one rhubarb and custard. And I thought, yeah, that would be nice and simple, but it ended up taking me all, all bloody day to get them ready. So it's like, I've got to put myself in the weeds big time. So um, I, um, uh, yeah, we, we, we basically, it's a small team. I've got Pete, who's, who, Pete Biggs, who's my, who, he's been with me for 20 years. We've been, we've been working together. He, he set up our restaurant in Dubai. He set up the first restaurant at the Capitol in London when, when we opened there. Um, so we've been working together for a long time. Uh, so he's in the kitchen with me. And then um, uh, Jim, who's basically, he's our head chef from, from Restaurant Nathan Outlaw. Um, and then I've got my children, uh, Jacob and Jessica, my wife, Rachel, at the front, and then um, Ian, my general manager. And that's the core team at the minute. Um, so and yeah, we're just sort of doing a bit of everything really. Um, what we've discovered is there's no hierarchy has gone out the window. <laughs> it's it's, it's not like old sort of chef structures. Like everyone just gets involved. So which is which is good actually. It's a it's um it's a bit of a it's a nice it's a nice way to to run it all. So everyone's sort of helping out each other, which is nice. But obviously we've all got to stay distances within the kitchen as well. So um, I've got my mask on now, which is. I, I said to my wife, I want one that's uh, like, a, like a stormtrooper helmet, like from Star Wars, which is much cooler than these. <laughs> but I'm not allowed one, apparently. So. <laughs> Why did you get into chefing in the first place? Um, I I started chefing when, um, well, my, basically my, my dad's a chef um, and he's, he retired, well, the COVID, he was working at my restaurant in London when it closed. 
he well at the same time he retired so for him this has been it's been all right he's basically retired on the day that we shut the restaurant and now he's in his allotment all the time so he's cool but i always saw him as um, when i was a kid um and i was just in yeah watching him cook and watching him sort of seeing how proud he always was and then i used to go in the kitchen with him when i was from about seven eight nine years old i suppose and i'd go in on a saturday morning um and just help out with breakfast shifts and do things like buttering toast and you know laying up laying up trays of bacon or breaking you know cracking eggs and stuff like that um from a young age and i just used to love the the environment the sort of um i suppose the the sort of almost pirate ship or a sort of camaraderie that's a, a kitchen as so you can imagine that was the in the sort of early 80s so it was a bit crazy then as well but they um i just sort of never really thought about doing anything else and i wasn't the best at school i was you know, all right but not academic at all so um yeah chefing was always something i loved doing and you know when you I think the result of even like making when I was a kid making a cake and it was really nice and people like to eat it you sort of you feel you feel proud about it and I just thought that's a really good thing to do so I just I've, yeah I've only I've just been doing it I suppose since I was about 14 seriously I suppose so yeah and then um and that's why I became a chef I didn't really know anything about awards and all that sort of stuff and stars and all that thing I didn't have a clue that you could you know get uh, you know sort of gongs for cooking i just come into it because i loved love cooking so um and then later on found out about all that when i started in london well you have got many gongs for your cooking uh but i'd love to know why fish oh well, i mean fish i mean as a kid believe it or not i was the only thing the only fish i would eat was fish, was fish fingers you know <laughs> or, or, or fish and chips or fish and chips on a friday yeah I think you're not alone with the other kids <laughs> i was like what i didn't i wouldn't know someone put a someone put an oyster in front of me or, or yeah or put a live lobster in front of me when i was like a kid i would have like freak right out but the, the actual um the top the first sort of time i sort of experienced seafood properly i suppose was um when i worked for, when i worked for rick stein um so really when i went when i was i was 19 i've been i've been working in london since i left college and i was working in a few restaurants and i everywhere i went i went i ended up on the on the fish station so and i was like and i you know i was yeah you know, I, I was i did really well at it and i and i loved it because it was a big challenge i found the sauce i enjoyed the sauce section and the veg section i actually like as well but the actual the challenge for me was the fish section because it was really quite difficult and i think unless you've actually got skills you can't you the fish section is the one you need to, to naturally be be good at it like you can't i think it's really struggle if you if you you've got to have that sort of um in you to do to prep seafood and to to, to look after seafood and it's more than i just think it takes more care than any section so i love that and at the time this was when rick rick was exploding on the television in, in the uk so sort of early 90s and his first series come out and i watched that and i used to go to cornwall a lot as a kid um, um growing up going camping and surfing and stuff so i sort of think well, this is perfect i can go and cook cook with the best seafood chef in the country and and do a bit of surfing at the same time so i went down there and and that was it really i mean and then when because rick at the time was doing i think his third book seafood odyssey when i started working it, and he was away um so i didn't see him probably for the first maybe three or four months of working there because he was actually in australia and thailand and 
all over the place doing that book. And but what he was doing, he was every day we were getting faxes because it was faxes then. Obviously, there's no emails and nothing, and the fax would come through, and it'd just be like <clears throat> he'd been somewhere. And he he tried something, and he just written down on a fax what it was, and the dish that that would come back into the kitchen. And at the time, the head chef was a guy called Paul Ripley, and he would he would then like transfer that to us as as the chefs, and we'd go right, let's try and make this. So obviously, sometimes the ingredients yeah, that we had yeah weren't right because we were in Cornwall in the UK, but um, and Rick was you know in Thailand or something. But um, that's how it worked. So it was it was a different sort of. Um, training it wasn't your typical you know standing next to a michelin star chef and being beasted and all day and sort of taught the hard way it was it was it was an inspirational thing so you know you was you 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 he would come back with stories he'd come back with ideas he'd come back with different menus um obviously write the books see the tv and i only you know and that was that was it and i was just yeah, and from then on, I just love seafood. So uh, from there, I went away to get some more experience for a bit in hotels and stuff. Realised I didn't didn't like uh, yeah hotels, didn't like being anywhere away from the sea really. And um, then we came back, and I opened my first restaurant when I was twenty five called the Black Pig. Um, and at that time, I didn't have the confidence to go one hundred percent fish because no one really knew I knew I was. I suppose so. It's very difficult to um, sort of like go here we go, I'm just going to do fish. And, you know, it would have been quite arrogant, I think, and especially in an area like Cornwall where, you know, if you're not from there in the first place, you can sort of, you can alienate yourself big time. So it's just taken years. And I think it was probably 2011, yeah, that's in 2011, I just said, you know, people were just going, they were just coming for fish. Like the the meat weren't selling on the menu. It was just no point in it being there. It was just being wasted. So like no one was eating it. And I was like, this is it. We opened a new restaurant um, in a new venue um, in 2011. I said, right, 100% fish. And then from that day forth, we've not, not, not cooked a bit of meat in the restaurant. So, and that's it. And so, yeah, now we just select yeah the finest seafood that we can possibly get locally from from fishermen that yeah we know or you know suppliers that we really really know and it's it's just one of those things as you know with seafood it's it's just relationships it's all relationships and you know knowing what to knowing knowing not to demand basically i think you know letting you know using what's there and what's the best and what's available to you what makes cornwall such a special place for seafood and do you have some like of your favorite seafood that you could tell us about from the region um, I think what makes Cornwall uh, really um, special with seafood is the way it's sort of, um, yeah, the south side of it is obviously it's on the English Channel and it's so it's got a very different grounds. Um, so that area there. And then the north, the north of Cornwall, you've got the Irish Sea. Um, and then obviously the tip of Cornwall goes out into the Atlantic. So you've got the Gulf Stream that comes up from sort of um, the Mediterranean. It brings a lot of different species. So things like gilthead breams um, and that, the breed family, they, they, you know, if you talk to a lot of fishermen 25, 30 years ago, that didn't, you wouldn't see those in, in, in being caught off of Cornwall. But now you see plenty of them because they're coming up. And I suppose that's you know, a little bit to do with climate change, I suppose. You know, the, the water getting a bit warmer has is, is made more species available in, in our area because obviously they're moving up a bit, which is not a good thing, but it's a good thing if you, you want variety, but not a good thing, obviously, with the climate change. But And then, so you've got three 
very distinct, different grounds of, of, of where where the fishermen can go. Plus, you, they also go um, long haul in out into the Atlantic, into the very deep waters as well. So you've got um, a lot of different areas and lots of different variety. I think there's probably... Um, just if you stick to Cornish fish and the Cornish, you can get up to around about 30 to 40, when I say 30, 40 species that of, of main species that are really tasty that you want to put on your plate, right? That, yeah, there's obviously other species as well that you, know, you sort of like, okay, I'm, I don't really want to cook with that. <laughs> so we put that, we bake the, bake the lobster but hots with that. That would be all right. But um, it is, there's certain... Um, yeah, so that really the variety. So yeah, give you an example. If you were in the north of England and you're on, say, the the east coast, the variety comes down dramatically because you haven't got as much um, fishing ground. So that's what I think with Cornwall makes it so special. Also, the fishermen are, are really good as well. They're really knowledgeable. So obviously, with very with the Atlantic Ocean, a big swirl. Um, you know that experience that's been handed down from generation to generation from fishermen. Um, enables you know a fleet of really really amazing guys to, to you know do one of the most dangerous jobs on earth you know and and i think that experience mixed with the with with the actual seas that are around the area bring in some fantastic fish now in the, in the knowledge on the market so the main market is newly market down um, in penzance near penzance and that's um it's been there for 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 donkeys you know so donkeys yeah so they they basically the experience a lot of it's down to the experience which makes it special as well so um yeah and i'm just lucky that i'm in the area and uh, uh and have a restaurant that can sort of pull upon all that all that variety and uh, with seafood as you know you know it's quite challenging for consumers and they can get a bit intimidated in regards to it and leave it in the hands of someone like you a lot of the time. But is there any really simple tips or tricks that you tell people if they ask you how to cook seafood? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is that it's you've got to find yourself um, obviously somewhere really good to buy fish from, which is sometimes a struggle. I don't know what it's like in, in Australia, but in, in the UK, um, obviously, yeah, you've got a lot of these supermarkets and, and the, the fish on the fish counters there isn't the greatest. So the problem is people, if they do buy that, if the public buy that fish, then they get it home and it smells and it's horrible. Then they're just, they're just not going to, they're going to look negatively on, on seafood f- from the outset. So you can't, yeah. So, you know, one really great thing that's happened, I suppose, in the last five years really is that you see a lot of courier services. So a lot of fishermen are, co- are getting together as cooperatives and working together to to send fish um, around the UK um, in a, like a twenty four hour. So if you order by twelve o'clock today, uh, PM today, you'll get it by ten o'clock the next morning. So I always try and push people. If you're in the cities, buy it that way because that way you know your your fish is coming from 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 the ocean side or from the seaside, and you're and you're and it's coming to you. So I mean that's a much better way than actually going through the supermarkets. But if you've got a really good fish shop, you know that then you're lucky and then you know you, you lean on them guys to sort of tell you what's the best and what's in season and what i should be buying i mean the biggest thing for anyone who's not confident at buying fish is always leave it in the hands of the people that do know you know to, to advise you where to go so you know I, and that's the way i work with the restaurant i never demand i never come up with a dish and say i you know re- ring up and say i want 10 three three four kilo bass because just that doesn't work like that we all know if you know fishing that's not how it works it's uh you're better off just 
saying what's the best today. Um, I think with cooking uh, seafood, I mean, if cooking something simple, like a fillet of uh, bass or you know, a bit of bream or something, is um, you know, keep. I don't really wash my fish that much. And what I mean by that is obviously I wash it if it was dirty, but uh, yeah, I, I, I keep it as dry as possible the skin um never never really you know pat it dry as possible if you want to get a crispy skin or you want to grill it and you want crispy skin um any moisture on it just obviously turns into steam and then you know cools it down and we'll never get anything crispy um and then i think the best thing at home probably is to bake fish you know if you if you're at home and you're not confident you know get yourself you know get your oven at one one sixty one seventy. 160 170 you know, cook, put it in there and just uh, sort of bake the fish because I think if you can get that almost like baked or steamed sort of effect of a fish, you also the purity of a sea of, of of fish or a seafood is shown off by that simple cooking because you can really taste what that fish is about. Sometimes caramelization, even though we all love it, we love crispy stuff, you lose the, the you lose the essence of 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 what that particular seafood is. Um, and 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 whereas baking and steaming is gives you you can get the structure you can get the flavour um, and it gives you more of the character of what that seafood is so you know keep it keep it really simple I'd say um, yeah and one thing is as well where I see a lot of people make mistakes at home with cooking fish is they put the fish on because they think they're in that sort of meat mode where you cook your meat and rest your meat or well, fish is you know cooks within three or four minutes max you want to have everything i even get everybody at the table sitting down you get all the drinks done make sure everything else is done your veggies are done your sauce is hot your plates are warm if they need to be warm and then then cook the fish because i think once you cut there's no going back once that fish starts going and if you haven't got your sauce ready if you haven't got your your potatoes out the oven or whatever you're doing um then you're going to be you're going to overcook it there's no no you've got no chance don't matter how fast you are that's a really good tip uh what have you been missing about the restaurant at the moment? I know you're doing the takeaway model now and you think that there's a future in that, but the, the, you know, what's, what's elements of the restaurant that you've been missing? I think what I'm missing the most is, is, is working with all the guys really. Um, and the contact with, um, the customers and the suppliers, because, you know, if you've got a restaurant that's been going for quite a while, like we have, which we're lucky sort of 10 years, over 10 years, you, you sort of get to know a lot of your customers and it's, you don't realize until something like this happens, um, that how supportive they are for one of your business. Cause you sort of take for granted, I suppose, in a way, which is, which is a, which is a big mistake. Um, and, and also your, your team around you, which is sort of, cause you get into that, the rhythm of like running a restaurant and running life is just running around and until something like this happens and stops you don't really give us yeah give a thought for that sort of thing so i'd say yeah the, you know the customers and the teams what i miss the most um you know the cooking part i mean i've continued to cook i've been probably cooking more than i've been cooking in the last three or four years you know since we've been locked down because i've been cooking at home every day as well so um, but the actual people, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, you know, it must be awful for people that are isolated all the time. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, cause it gives you a, just gives you a little bit of a taste of, you know, I suppose what it can be like to be, you know, on your own or, or lonely, you know, so you respect everything a lot more. Do you think this uh, experience will change restaurants in the future in the UK and what consumers are going to expect? Yeah, I think it's going. It's going to. This ex, the pandemic is going to change the restaurant industry massively. I think. I I, I believe that it's going to um, 
before this happened, there was a lot of restaurants. And when I say a lot, you know, everyone needed staff. Everyone was open, people opening restaurants, people that had no, you know, experience of opening restaurants, you know, big, you know, which opening restaurants willy nilly sort of all, all over the place. So uh, that's going to obviously, there's going to be a reduction in the amount of restaurants. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, we are going to do, yeah, hopefully what you're left with is, some you know really good quality operators really nice restaurants that are doing the right thing unfortunately we'll probably lose um good ones as well which is which is awful but you know what what it will expose is the badly run ones and the ones that they maybe in the past were just uh in it for a quick buck and not necessarily sort of in it for the right reason so um unfortunately there's going to be a lot of innocent people that are going to be caught up in that crossfire which is which is awful um but yeah i think out of really bad things good things have to happen and you got to believe that i mean i'm certainly i have to believe that because if you don't what are you you know what what are you doing it all for so um but you know the restaurant industry as a whole in the uk um you know it looks like it's going to take a massive hit but what will come of it is a lot of adjustment to the way people run restaurants. Um, they will look after, hopefully, they look after look after their staff much better. Customers are going to be much safer in the environment. Um, and then, you know, and you should, you know, by the way I'm feeling about opening my restaurant, is I'm going to make I want to make it much more accessible to a wider audience. Um, I certainly don't want to be, yeah, you know, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? You know, I want it to be cheaper. You know, which is which is it does sound crazy when you're running business because you you think like you take it, a lot of people's mindset would be you know you just got to take the money but I think I believe that you know everyone's in this together um, and we you know we I think if you if you go out there to sort of trying to make money out of something like this then I think you're a pretty bad person. I'll be honest. I think everyone's is going to suffer, and so I think yeah, we've got to all all look at it in a different way. So I mean, I would just want to. Hopefully, I see it as yeah. I want to run a business, and I want to employ employ people, um, and I want to give people a good future. But also, I want to make sure the customers have a really good 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 time. Yeah, you because know, they've had a pretty crap time. Yeah, everything's been pretty crap. So I can hopefully give some put a bit of joy back into people's lives just through my restaurants. Yeah, well, yeah, the ones that we got in Cornwall anyway. Do you think this experience, you know, you were just talking earlier about, um, you know, simplicity is so important with seafood so you can enjoy the flavour of a fish and you're talking about a cheaper, more accessible model. Do you think the fact that seafood's reliance on simplicity and a cheaper model might actually um, draw more interest to seafood and a better understanding of it? Uh Definitely from the point of view of accessibility because, you know, the more you can show people um, how to, to to do something uh, at home with convenience, you know, because it is a convenience food, seafood. If you've got the supplier and you've got somewhere you can get it from, you know, it's not many things that cook within four or five minutes. So you can eat your raw if you want. <laughs> so yeah, I always see it as a convenience food anyway. Um, but I think, yeah, it will certainly, the price point being more accessible by many is certainly going to help the seafood industry, I think, because, you know, it, 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 you know, in the UK, seafood is looked upon as a luxury ingredient, as it should be because of the, especially the wild stuff, because the danger that the, the, the guys go into to, to go and get it, 
that I always give, there's a massive amount of respect that, and people don't really know much as much as they should do about that either. Um, so that's a part of it. Um, that sort of, you know, education as well with, with seafood, but, um, and fishing, but you know, I think generally, I think everyone's got to think more accessible, more value for money. Um, but supporting people in their, you know, in their local area, whether it be growers, farmers, butchers, bakers, whatever. But, you know, I think that's really, the few, well, that's the way I see it anyway. That's what I'm going to edge my bets on anyway. So I might be wrong, but I hope I'm not. <laughs> well, the first week of July, you're going to be able to open the restaurant and welcome guests in. You know, what's it going to feel like when you finally get to do that? It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit nervous about it, to be honest, because you always, I'm worried about what people, you know, when they first come in, we're going to do everything we can. We've got screens on order to go between the tables. We've got, um, you know, the visors for the staff, for, for the kitchen and for the front house. We've got sanitizer stations. We've got all this stuff and it's all very alien to a restaurant. It's all, it's almost all the things that are against the social side of a restaurant that you're, you're, the difference is when you come into a restaurant that you've put in the, 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 the elements of it, um, that are not potential. You don't see them as social things. Right. So that's, I'm a bit nervous about that. So I want, so we've, we, you've got to make that seamless. You've got to make that sort of, um, a positive thing. Um, but the actual opening a new chapter and opening the restaurant and you know, what, the time that we've had off has given me is time to sort of really think about my food and what I'd cook and what we're going to cook as a, as a restaurant. So there will be new dishes. There will be new things that we're putting on, which is, that's really exciting for me. So, you know, even, even being a kid, being a chef for 25 years, I'm still sort of like get excited about the simple, simple thing, like coming up with a new dish. So um, that's exciting. Um, and then just, and, and then I suppose I'm anxious about people coming, you know, cause <laughs> will, will they, will people be confident enough to come out again and, and, and eat in a restaurant, especially cause we're not in the city. We are so far away and, and we, 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 we will be led into a little bit of, um, um, sort of sense of the, yeah, we will force sense of security because we'll be, we'll open in a time when we know it's going to be busy July and August. So that's when we know there's going to be people around. So it's going to feel like it's going to be great because it, it should be busy and there will be people, but then we know what comes with the winter. So that, that's the challenge. Well, mate, I really appreciate you giving us your time. I know uh, you've been deep in the weeds with the pastry section, perhaps again this week. Um, but listen, good luck with the planning and the reopening and uh, love to keep in touch and see how you go down the track. But um, thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>